Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome again to perhaps anyone who slipped in during that time of worship. My name is Jason, uh, and it's lovely to be able to be taking us into the next part of our series. Uh, We are in the middle of a series at the moment, and so whether you're listening online or you're here, uh, it's great to have you and uh, great to be able to take you into this next part. Uh, In this series, Living with Jesus, essentially we're trying to do two things. We're trying to discover and tease out and look at what it must have been like to have been one of the disciples living with Jesus. And then to begin to ask the question, well, what does that mean for us? What can it be like for us to be living in a relationship with Jesus now today? What should we be hoping for? What should we be expecting? What should we be trusting for? And it's great to be picking up where Ryan left off uh, last week, where we had this real challenge to know God truly for who he is. Because we can't invent who Jesus is. Jesus is a real person, and he has disclosed to us, he has revealed to us who he is and what he's like. And it's for us to come to know him and to know him truly. But then to go beyond that, not just to know who he truly is, but to love him for who he truly is. To actually fall in love with and to grow in our love for the real Jesus, the true Jesus, the Jesus who he really is. And so this morning uh, really uh, takes us a step further in that process and, and sort of feeds into that as we look at this theme of being intimate with God and then going to do God's work. To be intimate with God and to go and do God's work. And we're going to discover in the scripture that we're going to look at, we're in Mark chapter 3. If you want to get there in your Bibles in the meantime, I always think it's great to go in your own Bible. It's on the screen, but you can kind of do both. And that way, you know, if you have a look at my Bible, it's covered in highlighter and sort of scribbles and notes. I'm not sure if you're allowed to do that in our church Bibles that are out. But if you've got your own with you, then you're welcome to highlight it and scribble in it and underline And it just helps. And so we're going to see in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, how there is this invitation to know Jesus. This invitation to connect with God, to spend time with him, to be shaped by him, to have our minds and our hearts and our characters and our spirit affected by being in his presence. But then also, sort of the, the outflow of that is this command, this commission, this responsibility, then to go, to share, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to tell others who Jesus really is, so that they can also come to truly love him as we do. And so I want to pray for us as we go into that, because I recognize that intimacy with God and going on mission for God, those are two things that we can actually really struggle with. We can, first of all, just struggle with intimacy with people, let alone with God. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be open. If we've been hurt or we've been wounded, that can affect the level of intimacy that we can have, appropriate intimacy with different people. And then we start talking about mission and sharing the gospel. Does anyone else begin to get a little bit fearful? Okay, I know what it's like. You sit down and the person up front mentions the topic that sort of causes you the most anxiety and stress. And you think, oh dear, you know, what am I going 
going to do. And I know what it's like to talk about sharing our faith. I'm the same. It's easy to talk about it in the church. It's much harder to talk about our faith outside with other people who need to know it. So can we pray for us? Can we pray for God's grace that we would know him as he's inviting us to know him and that God would give us the courage to engage with the mission that he actually gives to all of us? Okay, let's, let's pray for that. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know us. You know us so well. You know our stresses, you know our challenges, you know our weaknesses, you know our vulnerabilities. You know the things that we find difficult with you. You know the things that we find easier to do. And so God, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would just come right now to each one of us and help us to engage with your word. You know the struggles that we're each going to have with it. You know the, the place we're in personally with you. You know where we are in our relationship with you. Maybe some of us are here and we're even still thinking about Christianity or we've still got big questions. And so, God, I pray that you would speak. That this would be a time where we hear you speaking into our hearts. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Mark chapter 3 from verse 13, uh, it says this, Jesus went up onto a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanges, which means sons of thunder. They must have been great people to hang around with. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We know that uh, if you read on in the story, Judas betrays Jesus. So let's have a look at the the sort of core part of this that I think is really significant and important for us today, where we see he appointed 12, um, and we see uh, in Matthew and in Luke, it records the 12 apostles. So he appoints the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority over all the realm of of evil. So let's look at some of this. He appointed, this is the first kind of important word. It comes from this Greek idea and, and, and word to create, to make. So Jesus essentially is, is creating, is making this group of disciples that are now going to be with him and continue his work. He does a similar thing we see in Luke chapter 10, if you're taking notes, uh, where it says the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out. He does the same thing. So he creates this group of people that can be with him, and then he creates this group of people that he can then send out. And so for Jesus, this naming of the 12, it communicates more than just a title. It communicates privilege and responsibility. The privilege to be with God. The privilege to be alongside of Jesus. And then the responsibility to go and be about his work and his ministry. And it's perhaps important to mention again that the commands to the 12 were not just for them alone. 
the commands and the invitations and the commissioning of the 12 actually apply to each of us as well. The 12 were unique because they were the first to receive them. But we would be missing the entire heart of the New Testament if we felt that Jesus' call and commands to the 12 were for them alone and not actually for us as well. So let me say a few things about the 12 because it's really helpful for us to be able to understand it. There's the list. You'll see I've crossed out Judas at the bottom and added Matthias because he gets added in in Acts chapter, 20, in Acts chapter 1 verse 26. I'll say perhaps something about that in a moment. But in order to understand the 12 and what they were about, we need to understand what was the apostolic job description. Now it's really helpful when you've got a good job description, which describes for you what you meant to do and sort of how you meant to go about doing it. How many of you have had to be in a job where you've got a fluffy job description, okay? And it's a bit vague and awkward and it's hard to kind of get a measure on whether you're doing a good job or not. Okay, it's great when we've got a really accurate and clear job description and we know what we're meant to be doing. And we discover the apostolic task, the apostolic job description in Matthew chapter 28. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, you can perhaps turn there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen. And it says this in Matthew 28. So this is after Jesus has died, been resurrected again, and he's now with his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he's like, right, guys, here is the finalized job description for you. This is the task that I am putting to you for the rest of your life. I am going to heaven. The Holy Spirit is coming down to be with you. And this is what I want you to give your time to do. This is the big picture job description for the apostles, for the 12. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples, remember it's 11 because Judas has left and they haven't yet replaced him with Matthias, okay? So the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Perhaps you've been in that position. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, in light of that, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So that there is a clear, definable group. It is easy to identify who are the disciples, who are the followers of Jesus. And then lastly there, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you see both elements there? At the same time, the privilege and the responsibility to go and then the privilege that God would be with us and that we would be with him. What's sort of vital for us this morning, I think, is the third part of this great commission where it says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so what he's saying essentially is this, what I command you to do, you must now teach others to obey. Not just teach them that I taught it to you. There's a big difference between that. They could have gone around and said, everyone, we want you to know the wonderful things that Jesus told us to do and how we did them. And we just want you to be aware that we did them. And that Jesus told us to do them. No, that's not what they get told to do. The, the, the command is this. Disciples, 
teach everybody to obey everything that I told you to do. And so essentially what happens is this. The, there is a, a fountain effect, if you like. The commands come to the apostles. They come to the twelve. And they obey. And they follow in Jesus' footsteps. And then over here, they're now training the first Christians to obey the very same commands that Jesus had given to them. So that they can walk like the twelve walked, like Jesus walked. And so the commands to the twelve actually become the commands to each one of us through them. And so the Great Commission, which was given to the eleven, is now given to us through them. And we are called to obey this just as they were called to obey it. And we are then called to disciple our children. And they're called to disciple their children. And the disciples to disciple the new disciples. So that at every generation of the Christian church, there is this apostolic mandate that we would go for God and that we would be with him. That we would share the message of the good news with everybody so that they can connect with God. And that we would know fellowship and intimacy with him. And so this becomes the apostolic role and task to go to change the world through bringing the kingdom of God. To baptize people and teach them to obey. So that's kind of my role and our role with one another. It's not just to teach one another the scriptures. Anybody can learn the scriptures. You could learn them off by heart. It doesn't mean anything until you obey them. That we would learn them and then walk in them. So what's unique about the 12? Well, what's unique about the 12 is they were the first to hear it. And they were in the very presence of Jesus as he spoke the words that we are to obey. And so the 12 become the group of people that could verify for the church for all time what were the true teachings of Jesus so we know what we're meant to obey. And that's why there's now no new revelation added to the Bible. Perhaps you've wondered, why does the New Testament not continue? Well, we don't have anyone that was physically with Jesus to be able to verify that the teaching is true. And so the 12 occupy a unique place. They were there to make sure that we know what's true. But not unique in that the expectations on them were different. We're called to obey Jesus' words just as they were. Okay, so let's come back then to this passage. That we might be with him and that he might send us out. This invitation and commission to them becomes an invitation and a commission of each one of us to experience spiritual connection with God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God wants to connect with you. He wants you to know closeness. Jesus says some amazing things. And he says as he's going, I need you to understand something. It is going to be better for you that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. And there's a sense in that the fellowship that we have with God now, yes, it's different. It's not the same as having connection with another physical person. But actually, at a spiritual, emotional, mental level, it can go even deeper than it can go with another human being. 
because the Holy Spirit is able to come and connect with our very spirit and be able to communicate with us, to be with him, and then to go for him. And I know this is a challenge. This is, uh, there, there, there is a sentiment, I think, in the church today, and perhaps you can reflect on this, even as I'm saying this, that there are people who are called to share the gospel, and there are people who are not called to share the gospel. We sort of think in those terms. And so, you know, there are the Christians who are the evangelists and they're the pastors and they're the teachers. And they're the ones that are meant to be, you know, doing the difficult job of sharing the gospel. And what we're meant to be doing is living lives that perhaps evidence the goodness of God. And and through the way that we live, make it obvious that God is great and worth investigating. And I think that's sometimes the way that we think. And we miss, no, God has actually called each one of us into this mission. He has appointed and commissioned each of us to be sharing the gospel with people around us. And that means we've got some learning to do. That means we've got some challenge to overcome. Because each of us needs to learn to be able to talk to people about who Jesus actually is. What Jesus has actually done. What we have done and why we need him. And how to connect with him. Now, we're all on a journey, and for some of us, that might be very difficult, and we might struggle with it. And for others, we've been doing this for some time, and we have a bit more experience. But it doesn't matter whether you have no experience or you have loads of experience, God is still calling us to actually do it. And the best way to learn is to begin, and to start, and to ask for help, and to begin to grow. And so as we wrap things up, what I thought that I could do is share with you some practical advice. Because I know looking at this, you think, gosh, where do I begin? How do I begin to become intimate with God? How do I begin to step out in this mission that God has called each one of us to be a part of? And so if you're taking notes, then this would be a good time to write some things down. If you're not taking notes yet, this might be a nice time to take out a pen, okay, or, or put it on your phone. That's also absolutely fine. But hopefully, some of these little tips, these are things that I've learned over time, um, are going to be helpful for you in both of these areas. To develop intimacy with God and begin to become the missional people that God has called us to be. Okay, how do we be intimate with God and how do we do his work? Um, I love Alexander Fente. He's one of the kind of key leaders in the Vineyard uh, Church. He says this about intimacy with God. He says you need vim. Okay, now, I'm not sure about uh, here in the UK, but in South Africa, vim is a cleaning product. Okay, but what he was saying is this. We need vim, we need vision, and we need intention, and we need a method. We need a vision of our lives more intimate with God. So I want you to do something. Just close your eyes now. And I want you to see if you can imagine your life more intimate with God. Perhaps imagine prayer times with a greater closeness with God. Worship times where you just experience God's presence at a different level. Maybe some of you have known what that's like and it's been lost a little bit. Or times reading the scriptures where God just illuminates his word to you and and sort of puts a fire in your heart for God. Can you you sort of see it? Is, Is there a vision that you can have of what your life can look like more intimate with God?
We need that vision if we're going to move forwards. Okay, you can open your eyes. Maybe some of you are just enjoying that or perhaps having a rest. Okay. And then we need an intention. There is an intention of the will. I'm going to choose to do what I need to do in order to get to that picture that I've just seen. And then we need a method. How are we actually going to get there? Okay, so here's some of the how. First thing that we can do, and it seems so obvious, but it's to pray for it. To really be praying that God would take us into a more intimate place with Him. To pray for intimacy. To have other people pray for intimacy for you. Whether that's perhaps at your connect groups. If you're not in a connect group, get to a connect group and get them praying that you could be more intimate with God than you are right now. What an amazing thing. If our connect groups were giving solid time every week to praying for people that they might be more intimate in their relationship with God. Wow, it would transform everything. Come forward on a Sunday and ask the prayer team to pray for you that you might be more intimate with God. It's the first thing. Secondly, commit time to be with God. How many of you find managing your time a challenge? Okay, we have so many demands on our time. But here is the, here is the, the sort of hard reality of this. Intimacy in any dimension with people or with God requires time. You can't develop intimacy with someone without committing time to be with them. And it's the same in our relationship with God. You need more than time, but you can't have it without time. And so time will often be the cap to our intimacy with God. If you only spend this much time with God, you can only have that much intimacy. If you spend this much time with God... Now you've created the potential to have that much intimacy with God. Does that make sense? Do you see that? And so it's not the only factor, but it's the limiting factor. If we don't give time to God, we cannot grow in our relationship with Him. And everything will fight against you. Everything will fight against you. You will have to commit war... (laughs) with everything in order to have time with God because the enemy, it's his biggest goal in your life is to keep you from being intimate with God. We often think, you know, if we go onto the mission field, you know, if we go far away, if we're trying to do big things for God, that's where we're going to face the the real spiritual battle. It's not true. This is where we face the real spiritual battle. It's actually to have time with God. And everything will come up. You'll get a phone call. You'll get an email. You'll have someone come in and shout at you. You'll be driving to the park to have a prayer time with God. And someone will drive up behind you and kind of get you riled up. And the next minute, you're at the park and you don't want to do anything like pray. You want to you say unsavory words to someone. You know, that's kind of the... And because anything will come up against you in order to rob you from having that time with God. Time, we need to make it a commitment. Third thing, to be reading our Bibles or listening to our Bibles. Faith comes by hearing, so you can listen to, okay? Listening and reading. And I would suggest you do that in two ways, systematically and meditatively. So have a plan to get yourself through the Bible, in some shape or form. If you've never done that before, I'd start with the Gospels. 
connect with Jesus in the Gospels. Make it your plan by the end of the year to have read through the Gospels. Read a couple of verses a day and make it systematic. Or perhaps if you've done that, go through the letters. Or take a reading plan. There's some fantastic reading plans online that you can do. Where, you know, you read a psalm, you read a bit of a proverb, you read something in the New Testament, and it's a bit like getting a great balanced diet. You know, save the best for last or whichever. I'm not sure how that works. But, but get systematically through the Bible. But then also make times to allow God to speak to you in the scriptures. It's possible to read it and not connect with God. And it's hard to connect with God over chapters and chapters of stuff. Often it's the sentences that we need to meditate on and chew on and express that we can be obedient to them, not just know about them. Okay, so read systematically and meditatively. Then spend time with people who value intimacy with God. And I don't mean stop spending time with people who don't. Obviously, you can't do that. But be intentional to spend time with people who are intimate with God. Because you will rub off positively on one another. It's like coals in the fire. Okay? When you put live coals together, then the heat that's generated seems to kind of amplify. You take them away and they cool down. It's just a spiritual reality. Get with people who love God and they will help you to love God more. It's so important. And if we're not spending time with people who love God, we're just going to find it really challenging. Okay, ask if there's sin in your life. That God needs to deal with. Now, if you're a Christian, sin doesn't separate you from God in the sense that God is no longer with you. But sin does separate us from the conscious awareness of God and it brings God's discipline into our life. Okay? If you are a son or a daughter of God and you sin, God will discipline you because he loves you. Okay? It says it's one of the marks of sonship of being a child of God, that your heavenly father will discipline you when you sin. Okay? So when we sin, we need to confess that and come before God and make right with God so that it, relationally we can reconnect. You can't try to walk more intimately with someone while you're doing things that overtly offend them. We know that in a physical space relationally and it's the same when it comes to our relationship with God. We need to deal with our sin. Fasting can be something that's helpful, whether that's a meal or a day or longer. If you have questions about that, you can come and chat to me. I can maybe give you some tips. Then there are bigger things we can do, like um, investing spiritually in, in, uh, in our lives through maybe jumping into a course that has intimacy as a particular focus or go away for a weekend. We've got our church weekend away in February coming up next year. Amazing opportunity to invest in your intimacy with God. We've got the thing coming up with Jesus ministry in September. Amazing opportunity to invest in your intimacy with God. Okay, so there are some steps. Is that helpful? I hope in terms of investing in intimacy. What about mission? How do we begin perhaps to do that? Well, again, I think it starts with prayer. And if you're anything like me, the first prayer is for boldness and for courage because we often feel afraid. And it's a great prayer because the early church prayed it too. Do you remember when some of the disciples get called in in front of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders of the time, and they say, you're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. How many of you feel that that's the cultural message that we get? Okay, You're not allowed to talk about Jesus anymore. 
And we feel that pressure. And we go out and we know that that's what people are thinking. And so what do they pray? In Acts chapter 4, they say, God, give us boldness. Give us courage that we would, we would respect and honor what you have said above what they are saying. That we would align ourselves, Lord, with what you have told us to do, not with what culture deems politically correct. But in love and in grace and in mercy, we would speak the truth just as you've called us to do it. Give us boldness. Stretch out your hand and you do your stuff, God, that we can do ours. Is that a, like a, a prayer worth praying? Acts chapter 4, look it up. You can even pray the very prayer that they prayed um, as a scriptural prayer is a great thing to do. Pray for boldness. Pray for wisdom. Pray for love for the people that you're sharing with is so important. We need to love the people that we're ministering to and pray for opportunities. Paul does this constantly in the New Testament. He says, pray for an opportunity for me that a door might be opened that I could share with other people the good news about Jesus. Okay, pray. Then this is a really helpful practical tip. This helped me so much, this next one. Um, and I'd encourage all of you to do this, even if you do nothing with it, although I hope you will. But, but I'd encourage each of you to do this, to write out your testimony three ways. Okay, write out your testimony three ways. And this, again, is a great thing to do as connect groups. So the first thing, you write your testimony out for yourself. You maybe don't have to share that with anyone else, although you can. That's really helpful. But write out what happened to bring you to a point where you believed in Jesus and gave your life to him and came into life with God. What was it that happened? What were the events that took place? Maybe for some of you, it was a sort of gradual journey. You grew up in the church, but there are moments when you remember making a commitment to God. Write it out because it's so helpful for us to have actually taken the time to write it out. And it's always much easier to share your testimony with someone if they ask you, if you've already done the work of actually writing it out and thought about what you might, what you might say and what God has done. Okay, so just to encourage you. So the first thing, write it out for yourself. The second thing is pick someone in your mind. Imagine someone, perhaps someone who used to go to school with you or you used to work with or an old friend. You picture them and then write your testimony out as if you were sitting with them, you know, over coffee or something like that. And they've asked you, Jason, how is it that you came to faith in Jesus? What a great question. What am I going to say? <gasps> I don't know what to do. So you take the time and write out, what would I say to that person if they asked me that question? And it's a great thing because then you can perhaps go to your connect group leader, go to some of the people in the church and ask questions. How would you say it, this? Or this happened to me. How, how could I perhaps tell someone else about that that's happened? And then lastly, write it out for someone that you are hoping you will be able to share it with. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone at a sports club with you. Maybe it's one of your family members. And you write out what you'd like to say to them. And you begin to pray, God, I pray that they would ask me about my faith in Jesus. Lord, may you put a, a question in their heart. Just bring them to open up an opportunity for me to share this with them. Yeah? 
Is that okay? And so we write that out three ways, and you could, you could share that. with. Perhaps if you're in a prayer triplet, you could then take that, and you could share your, your testimony with people, and you could begin to pray for the person that you're hoping to be able to share that with. It really empowers us to be able to go out and do what God has called us to do. Something else you could do is join one of the outreach-focused ministries in the church. But I, I need to say this. Just joining the ministry doesn't mean that you're engaged in kingdom work. Okay? So I can be somewhere, but not actually sharing the gospel. And it's great to be there. Maybe you're helping, but you're not quite yet taking that fear boundary step where you're looking for opportunities to share who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, why we need him, and how to connect with him. Those are the things that we really need to be wrestling with. And so you could join Messy Church, one of the teams, or Dad Cinema Club, or Chilton Runners, or Sutton Schools Work, or Tots and Toys, or Street Pastors, or some of these things. And when you there be praying, God, help me to see an opportunity that I can plant a seed, something that's true about who you are and what you've done and what you like and what it's meant for me to connect with you. Okay, uh, watch for those opportunities. And then obviously there are some of the bigger steps that you can take. Go on a short-term mission with, with one of the Christian mission agencies. Um, something else that, that you can do, and I'll finish with this. Uh, we've got Sunil um, from CVM who's going to be with us in June. Um, he's going to be with the leadership team. He's going to be uh, with us preaching one of the Sundays. And he's then going to be doing an evangelism training course with us. And so... Um, Watch out for that once we release the dates of that. We're just still firming up the dates for some of that. But that's a great opportunity to come through and begin to learn because this is our job. If you're in a job and you don't know how to do it, one of the first things you need to do is get some training, okay? Because it is your job and it is our task and it is what God has called us to do. And so we don't want to do it badly. We want to do it well for God. And that means we all got some learning to do. And we can learn together as we go. And hopefully in the church here, um, as we grow together, we're all just going to get better and better and more courageous and bold to share the love that we have for God and what he's done for us with those that are around us. Because we live in a world of brokenness and hurt and desperation. People are desperate for God. And we are the ones that actually can help them to connect with him. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.